When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It's the bank holiday. Quite typically, it's raining. At least it is up here in North London, where we look with interest for Daniel Levy's next managerial move. But there's sun in our hearts as Albion have as good as secured a record fifth successive year in the top flight after our regulation victory over the Megaverse's biggest ever club and my co-host Peter's one true love, Leeds United. Um, While up in Manchester, things have been getting a bit tasty in the aftermath of the Dirty Dozen announcement, with fans protesting in numbers and with attitude. To borrow the words of Leeds supporting band the Kaiser Chiefs, I predict a riot. So it seems that um, timely that Peter and I welcome to this episode the director that uses a cover of that song in his film about one of football's other chances. That film is called Kaiser, the greatest footballer never to play football. And its director is Albion fan, Louis Miles. Welcome to the pod, Louis. How are you? Okay. Yeah, very well. Um, just uh, at my, my parents' house, we formed a bubble with them. So I'm down in Plymouth at the moment. Um, uh, oh, nice. Well, because we can, we've got a, just a, an under one year old, so we can form a bubble. So once we, uh, once the rules allowed us to, to go further than your local postcode, uh, we've come down here to uh, enjoy the weather, which is Gale Force 9 at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, delightful! <laughs> and how is it in South London, Peter? Uh, about where I think, as you were saying, it's pretty, pretty horrible, to be honest. Yes. Oh, joy of joys! Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us, uh, Louis. Thanks for joining us uh, on your debut for the show. Um, so we wanted to start. We'll go through a few bits to do with your career later on. We'll talk about the Leeds game. That's part of our uh, show this this episode. And of course, there's plenty to discuss on other matters, not least the so-called European Super League. Um, we'll get on to that later on. But I wanted to start by just um, asking you about how you got into being an Albion fan and where it all started. Uh, well, I was born on the day of the FA Cup final, so I didn't really have a choice in the matter. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> um, my dad had a ticket and uh, at, I think I was my mum was blue lighted sometime just before kickoff um, and... Uh, he never made it to Wembley for the for the first leg, and they couldn't find a doctor in Brighton Hospital, uh, so because everyone was watching the game. So uh, luckily, I kept myself in till um, 
uh, post uh, uh, post full time. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, he, he went to the replay though, and it has never forgiven me because um, <laughs> obviously we lost four nil. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't go. To, I think my first game was oh uh, versus Wigan, and Steve Cottrell scored, so that must be ninety two, I think. So a good nine years after that. Um, I've been wanting to go for 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 a while, I think, um, and then um, you know, obviously the although Brighton didn't really have any problems with hooliganism and all the rest of it, I think my parents were quite rightly thought it wasn't the right place to go for a young kid at, at that age, and then uh, I went and then never stopped going, um, um, uh, and yeah, I've been following ever since. So that's uh, that's been kind of kind of it, really. I mean, I, I mean, I say never stopped going. There was a period when I first started. You know, work and went to university. I, I went less. I didn't have season tickets then, um, and then picked it up when I came back. When we all came back to the Amex, got season ticket and held one ever since. Brilliant. Whereabouts are you at the moment? Which which area? Um, do you know what? I can't remember because I haven't been for since um, <laughs> 2019. Um, believe it or not, um, I'm in the west. Uh, what's the three stand? It's the west, isn't it? West lower on the penalty line. Um, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a nice little position. Good to flick these up at the away fans, which is, <laughs> you know, kind of the best you get in the Premier League these days. It's not like the Championship where you can see goals and win things, is it? You know, now you can just roll up other people. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's great, and and like yourselves and everyone else, missing it greatly, um, and hmm. hoping to get back next season. Absolutely. And we're, we're hopefully we're going on to talk about the Albion in more detail later on in terms of the current team and our prospects going forwards beyond this season, hopefully now um, in the Prem. Um, but in terms of, so you, so you were brought up in, was it in Brighton itself? Lewis. So Lewis, I was oh, brought, yeah. uh, first 18 years of my life, I went to Lewis and then I uh, went to Canterbury to do a degree and then and then started working in media in London and then we lived in South London ever since. So um, I live in Sydney now quite quite near the um the uh, scummers down the road uh Sellers oh, wow. park is not too far away and neither is crystal palace park uh which i mean to be fair i think crystal palace is actually very nice itself it's just uh the Selhurst area gives a lot to be desired and all the rest of it. but i do have to drive past it every time i come to a game um and uh always find it quite ironic that the major pub for, for crystal palace fans is called the albion yeah <laughs> just near Norfolk junction station uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I and mean, then been coming down. You know, I t- tend to tend to get to about three quarters of the home games each season these days, which is pretty good going. Well, now I've got two children, probably not so many for the next year or two, and then it'll, uh, it'll all come back. But I've, uh, I've uh, the, the two girls have already got kits and uh, you know have been indoctrinated. So good, good. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> On the subject of Crystal Palace, I actually I, was, I remember I was house hunting in various areas in London where first first moving up, and I think we were actually in the Crystal Palace area. You're right, the actual area of Crystal Palace isn't bad. We were looking around there as one possible place to to rent, and we I think we, we got promoted um, on the back of somebody losing a game. I can't remember which season it was while we were driving around in Crystal Palace. I thought that seemed to be quite appropriate somehow. Quite quite enjoyed myself with that. Um, 
And I'd actually forgotten that we were um, we were looking for a result, actually, from somebody there. It's never the good way to get promoted, is it? But we'll take anything. Um, but anyway, going, going on to your, um, your your Albion stuff. So, you, so you've been going through the years and, and obviously you get to, get to plenty of games. What, what are your favourite memories, do you think? What are, what are the key memories, key people, uh, players on the pitch, etc.? Uh, I mean, uh, you, you always remember your, your your first experiences, really. And I mean, I absolutely loved that. Um, I mean, even though there were very dark days, obviously, but I absolutely loved that period of just before it all kicked off with with Bellotti and Archer and all the rest of it. And the football was absolutely generally terrible. But Kurt Nogan was obviously right up there in terms of superstar strikers. But you you know, Peter Smith at right back um, seemed to love remember loving him. He was great. He was to run up the pitch of those lanky legs of his um, and then generally put in a terrible cross. But um, And he was in midfield. It was, and Robert Codner was still playing then, obviously, although probably past his, past his best. Um, and was it Jeff Minton in midfield? Yeah. yeah sort of small, small guy. And, but he was great. Um, what did he, he came from Tottenham, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and he seemed so, to control yeah. a lot of games. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, obviously the se- season where... Time, when, I think. I didn't remember. We played. Yeah. They came in the same same summer, both from Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, obviously, and the Lee and Brady days were, you know, obviously great. And um, look, I mean, I did a, I did something not when Gus was in charge, um, and I did the, we played Arsenal in the FA Cup, and I went to do a piece with uh, Liam and Gus, and it was great wow. just off camera talking to Liam about all the time, and he's very humble about what he did for the club, um, but. You know, he went really above and beyond getting involved with trying to save the club. And yeah, I guess it's re- it's really hard to do, to do things the right way when you're a manager of the club and it's all going wrong. And it must be very difficult for those clubs and the managers in charge of the ESL teams at the moment because you've got what you believe in and then you've got your paymasters and things aren't resolved. And, you know, as fans, we and, and, and in Brighton's case, you know, uh, and, and obviously the ESL club's case as well. I think they're absolutely right to be protesting and to be fighting for your club, to be fighting for your area, to be fighting for your community. Uh, but it's still a hell of a thing to, to, you know, get the right message across amongst all that uh, emotion. And I thought, you know, looking back at it, I mean, at the time I thought he was brilliant, but I was obviously, you know, a young boy. But looking back at it now, I think he, was, he did a very, very, um, very honourable and measured job. Um, um, both when he was manager and then post post his manager managerial career, and then of course that that whole um, great escape um, with Steve Grit was you know it was obviously you know sad times, but in a weird way it was on on the pitch it was wonderful, wasn't it? Because it was such a ridiculous comeback from where we were in in November um, to to where we ended up and 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 you know the Doncaster and the, and the Hereford games. So, I mean, they, those are, I mean, they're kind of, they're obviously bittersweet memories for, for everyone, but I think, you know, as we all get older, you, life's not, life's not easy, I suppose. Um, and it's, it's never perfect. And, and um, I don't know, I look, I, in a way, I look back on those memories as kind of just, just really fond of them because it's, it, it makes, it makes communities that, and I think it's made, Brighton fans, uh, who we are, and and you know through Dick and and then obviously Tony and and the tone that the club takes, uh, how it interacts with the fans. I think it sets the relationship in a in a very you know in a very strong place. So th- those are the main things. And then and look, I mean, I, I went you know a reasonable amount during the Withdean years and 
going to Cardiff and all the rest of it. But I think I've, I've you know, I really picked it back up again in 2011, and, and the gush years were just, just amazing, really, weren't they? And it's, I sort of oh, felt yeah. that, and and the football was fantastic, and you could tell the players really cared, and they were having fun, and it was just the emotion of being back at the Amex. I think there was at least a game for the first three seasons that um, pre-match I'd get emotional because of all the all the strife we've been through. Um, and I think first, the first, I mean, I, I didn't make the, the Doncaster match because I was working on an athletic event at Crystal Palace again, um, <laughs> which is great because it was a short commute, but um, absolutely terrible for um, missing the, such an important match. But then um, I think it was a West Ham game we were playing um, Allardyce is in charge and they came down and they do we haven't got with Steve Harper or something and got with like his ankle going in. you know I think we'd finally finally clocked he wasn't good enough for the championship but um, you know that was a big you know in my mind a Premier League team coming down um, someone that you've seen on Match of the Day that I've worked on I've worked on Match of the Day and you know cut loads of West Ham games uh, throughout my, my sports producing career and um, you know and then all of a sudden you're playing them at the Annex and just felt, you know, I, just, I was broke down in absolute tears, to be honest, uh, before that game, because it just, for some reason, that night, that game really got to me, which I think a lot a lot of people obviously would have had at the, the Doncaster game, but obviously wasn't there. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, those are the, um, those are sort of the, the best memories and, and obviously the promotion season as well. There's that, that was a real connection with the fans and, 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 and the team, you know, especially with Knockout and how, when he put his, passion on the pitch you you, you can really um uh, align yourself with that but uh, you know it's 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 kind of weird when you and I'm sure you guys are probably the same once you we've all been through that fight I, I sort of in a way don't really care what happens on the pitch I don't get too bothered about relegation from promotion first time to the Premier League is obviously fantastic if we go down and go up again I'm probably not going to be you know it's nice but I'm just glad that there's somewhere to go that you can go with your mum and your dad and your, and your friends and kind of what it is for me now yeah i think i think that's that's true of a lot of people isn't it we've 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 got the main target we've achieved and we've got got the stadium we've got back to brighton we've um and we've got into the premier league on top of that which is the bonus and i think yeah um, we've, we're in that privileged position of having experienced various different divisions various different situations so i think we certainly can enjoy the premier league as much or more than anybody really in terms of knowing where we've come from and how much we've had to fight to get to that stage, which is which is great. And I know from what you're saying, it sounds as if you're very much of the same generation as Pete. I saw he was nodding uh, amusedly away there when you mentioned Pete, Pete Smith and names like that. It, it was a classic time, wasn't it? Well, it's A, as he was saying about a player who kind of like ran forward and then just couldn't cross. And B, uh, we've mentioned before that Darlington home game at Gillingham when he, we lost 4-0 and I think Gabbiadini got a hat-trick and Smith managed to score an own goal from... From an impossible position, um, but yeah, a lot of those experiences are pretty much mine as well. You know, I kind of started going in 1990, so just a bit before you, but not much. And the first real success really was kind of like not until with Dean. And I was saying, I was like a lot online about Hereford today because it was 24 years ago today, which is mind blowing. Wow. It was 24 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to think if you know where we'd be if we'd lost that game and potentially, you know, kind of would the club have survived and. You know, while we'll never know, there's a fair chance I think they might have gone out of business. And if they, you know, even if they hadn't, they may we may not be there where we are now. It's, uh... Yeah, if there was a Phoenix club formed, I'm yeah. sure there would have been. But what would they have managed to achieve? Maybe not the same. Yeah, and indeed. Yes, yeah, so we're recording this bank holiday Monday. It's, yeah, as you said, 24 years to the day, isn't it, for the Hereford game? 
Um, and yes, we have come a long way. Um, speak of that old now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's been lively, hasn't it? It really is. Um, uh, then, like, so it's been a quiet time, generally. Yeah, and that Doncaster game, I, I know you weren't there, Louis. You said, but um, I, I can vouch for the fact there was a lot of grit in the air that day. I don't know. Everyone seemed to get stuff stuck in their eyes. There was a lot of a lot of people seemed to be streaming. Um, for, for some reason, grit in the um, in the management team as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Very good. Very yes, Peter. Well done. That's better than my usual puns on intro. Really so bad jokes on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're here for. Bad jokes and um, and moaning about leads, which we can get to later. From a position of superiority on this occasion, anyway. I'm getting back on track. Yes, yeah, so you, you mentioned your Albion backstory, and in terms of your career, we'll get on to the the, the film stuff um, in a bit. But how did your career develop? Because you've you've mentioned sports being a part of it as well, haven't you? So what what came first? Well, I, I, start, I started off by serving tea. There was a, a runner's job at the BBC Post Production. So I used to make tea for grandstand match of the day. And then, I mean, at the time, uh, lots of stuff was still cut there. So you, there'd be Mitchell and Webb shows and Live Aid, Bob, Bob Geldof. I remember watching 2006 World Cup with, with Bob Geldof for quite a lot of it, weirdly. Um, we getting angry that we had bottled water and then... I couldn't really understand what you were saying half the time. Um, but yeah, <laughs> he'd be cutting like this concert or whatever, all the VTs with the concert. And then, uh, he'd take us all to the BBC bar for a pint and, and we'd watch, uh, you know, the Germany game. We saw the wink there. Um, uh, uh was that 2000? Yeah, that was 2006, wasn't it? Um, uh, yeah, in Germany. Um, so I started off there and then I ended up uh, sort of, um, I mean, I wanted to do drama. I did a drama degree and, um, and was quite good at acting, and um, but sort of like fell into media and then I, I sort of fell into radio journalism. So I did Radio 5 and Radio 4 news programmes as a, a guy that prints off the scripts and books people's taxis and, and for some reason chaperones prime ministers and David Attenborough, people like that from their taxis to the studio and having to like have tittle tattle with them went on to become a journalist and realised I wasn't very good at it. Um, and you might have needed to study to, you know, <laughs> journalism to do these things. And then just fell into to sports production, sports radio to start with. And then a, a job came up at, at the BBC uh, as an assistant producer um, working on a sport output. And um, largely that was football focus, making all the, the little films that went into there, which is where I started cutting films for the first time. And um, things like Match of the Day and... and um, uh, and so for that, I mean, I'm largely cutting the games to the highlights of the games or doing the analysis. Uh, so sitting with, at the time, it would have been Hanson and Lineson and uh, Shearer um, and writing all those guys. And you'd, you'd just watch football with them in the afternoon and, you know, write write down the incidents and uh, go and go and clip it up for them and then talk it through with them. So that was, I mean, fascinating. I mean, there was some, I mean, you learn learn a lot about the game when you're with those sort of guys. And I remember at the time, I think there was um, uh, a lot of uh, criticism, I think, uh, for the for match of the day. And I think it was because they you figured it was a bit lazy. Uh, but it, it wasn't when you were with the, the guys because, um, you know, you'd be frantically writing away notes of things you thought in the game. And then they'd just see one thing and they'd say, log that time code. And you go and look at it and you say, well, what's going on here? And I always remember doing something with Lee Dixon. And I think it was Fabregas or it was either Fabregas or Wilshire in the middle of the park. And he basically, he'd seen the exact frame you wanted to stop on. And it was just when he was looking looking forward with the ball. 
And he said, you can't see it on this frame here. He said, but go forward two seconds on and I need to show this. And he was like, he'd seen all the options ahead and behind him and he picked the perfect pass. And it was just from one quick look, like, you know, a flash look. And in that time, in that half a second, he, he'd scanned the whole pitch and knew exactly where to put the ball. He said, that's why he's this put this player as a top player. I think it was Fabian. Wow. Um, and, and you're thinking, crikey, you, 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 you can be an armchair football fan. And like, I think it's very easy to do that these days with all the analytics um, stuff that's out on Twitter and um, XG and all the rest of it. And, and I'm not criticising that at all because I think it's fabulous and, and has pushed the game on and the understanding of the game on um, uh, to, to where it probably was where I was a kid, which is far more of an emotional um, sort of uh, pastime, I suppose. Um, but you to see it from those guys who've played it and know how it, how it is, it was you could see the difference. Uh, you could see why they were top, you know. Um, so that was great. And then yeah, and then and then as a part of all that, I you know as I sort of made little films for Football Focus, and then that started to move into slightly bigger films. And it turned out I was quite good at that. And then um, went freelance, and 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 then somehow ended up becoming a film director. You know, about six years after leaving there. Um, getting involved in mad projects and and yeah, so it's all, it all kind of all kind of fed from there really. And it's uh, I never really had a plan. It wasn't like uh, I listened to your show with Dave Beckett last week, and I was thinking, crikey, what was I doing at sixteen? I'm absolutely doing nothing to do with anything I'm doing now. And he was obviously, um, and I know Dave well. He's a, he's a good man, uh, but he was obviously you know very dedicated and working for Southern Sound, which is a name I haven't heard for a very long time. Southern Sound. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah. Uh, I think my sister did work experience there actually. Um, so yeah, um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You kind of went from there, but I mean, fabulous experiences because you you got to go to you know, like Dave, you got to go to World Cups and European Championships and um, you know, be at these tournaments, which is you know like a dream really. For a, if I looked at my ten year old self, that would you know you wouldn't believe you could do such a thing. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, I've got to ask before we go on to anything else. Is, did you make any tea for Des Lynham back in the day as well? When you were in your tea you making know, days? I didn't. I've met Des and he's absolutely lovely. But uh, unfortunately, his time, they just wrap, they were just wrapping up Grand Sam when I probably started. And oh. he'd moved to, he'd already gone to ICV because that was early 2000s, wasn't it? So he hmm. would have been there. I mean, obviously, obviously Gary's the, the, the match of the day presenter. Uh, Inver's would be knocking around a lot of that time. Claire Balding was just coming in. Um, those sort of those sort of people and Gabby Logan obviously. Adrian Tiles was match of the day team presenter still. Um and he was great to work with. Um like just good bloke, you know, really got it. And you know, mm. these guys are absolutely proud as you know. You think you think they make it look so easy, but it's like really difficult when you've got um so many um so many people can talk back in your ear and you know, there's been a bit of criticism somewhere along the line and you know, especially with Twitter starting up around about that time um but you know which is you know a portal to discontent isn't it really it's uh yeah you know um, absolutely I, I think you're right things people do I think that they're, when they're top of their game whatever that game might be uh, mm. producing presenting acting um playing football whatever it might be um that when they look, make it look simple, well, that's uh, it, it often isn't, is it? Um, we're, we're the opposite, actually, with this podcast, aren't we, Peter? We we, we make something simple look difficult, uh, which is quite uh, quite an achievement the other way around. <laughs> but um, also, you know, the kind of 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, in terms of um, where, you, where you went to after that, Louis, so you, you ended up um, making films. Um, you've been a director, I think a producer, written a couple of things as well. Um, looking at your directing stuff, you've made something called An Alternative Reality, the Football Manager documentary. I haven't seen that, but um, that sounds interesting, actually. I need to look that up if it's available somewhere. Um, you went on to do Being Kevin Peterson, uh, Kaiser, the greatest footballer ever to play football, which we mentioned earlier, uh, Stop the Tour, and Liverpool FC, the 30-year wait, which I have seen, which is, was excellent as well. Um, so all of this in the documentary uh, sector, isn't it? Um, so how did all that come about in particular? I know you had your media connections building there, but um, how did you get into the actual directing side of things? Uh, I, mean, I mean, I was effectively doing that in short form anyway. So um, I mm. left to, to do sort of um, adverts and branded content and bits of sports stuff as well. And then um, through uh, the guys at, who, who do the Great North Run, I'm, I'm very pally with Brendan Foster and his um, son, Paul. Uh, and they they got this gig to do um, the football manager documentary, ironically through Vicky McClure and Johnny Owen. Um, and I don't oh, think yeah. they could make it at that time. Johnny was busy or something, and, and Vicky was obviously busy being amazing. And so uh, she she ends up narrating the film. Um, and hmm. uh, it was the twenty fifth, I think, anniversary of the football manager championship manager game which I'd loved as a kid. And so I was immediately said yes. And we turned, I mean, it, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good film actually. I watched it again not too long ago. Um, considering we made it in six weeks, it was a ridiculously short turnaround time for something so long. Um, but I mean, ultimately, you know, it, it's looking at the cultural impact that the game had. And you've got, you've got guys who, um, I mean, like it, it was focusing on, on how football manager kind of changed people's lives really. So the development of the game, um, you know, both within a professional sense within football, but also just as a cult thing. So, you know, you had, you had guys in there who had done absolutely ridiculous things. There was one guy who um, framed his honeymoon in Bulgaria, like made the whole thing in Bulgaria because he managed a team there once and it was all just a ruse so he could go and watch this team play in the Bulgarian second division. He never told his wife. This is the first time he had a confession on it. Um, so blokey, isn't it? It's brilliant. Oh, it, it really was. And then that, I mean, that's another reason why we got Vicky's narration in here, because it's like, this is so mad heavy. Um, which I don't think it is. And I think that's, I think it's, you know, it's like everything's changed, isn't it, over the last few years? But it's, um, you know, they've, they've, you know, there's a lot more um, females, I think, that, that are playing it now. Um, and I think have, but it was at the time, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite as easy to find. Um, and yeah, so it was all these cult stories of these these people who had taken things too far, you know, you know dressing up in suits for cup finals, kind of passe, you know, that's low level uh, type stuff. There's there was all sorts of random stories in there, and it was an it was an amazing deep dive into sort of like a a very I wouldn't say niche because it's it it sells a lot of games every year. Football Manager, I mean, it's obviously been used massively by um, by by FIFA and, and PES and all the rest of it, but. Um, it's, it, it, it sells a hell of a lot of copies worldwide. And, um, so that film kind of, um, uh, told that story. And, and then I went on to be their, their kind of advert director for a couple of years, um, sort of telling more of these sort of crazy stories with, and we were going all around the world meeting all these guys, fans and professionals that lives have been completely, um, changed by football manager. One guy moved to decided he was bored of life as a, a, a PR manager, I think, in 
in the UK. So, and his wife wanted to move to Spain. He said, right, pick two clubs and the one that I do better in will move there. So he goes, they moved to Torre Vieja down in Spain. So we went down there and met him and his wife and his dog and all the rest of it. And then it turns out he's ended up commercial director of that football club. Um, and so, my, uh, and then, I mean, I went, went on holiday with Nasser Chadley to Ibiza for some reason because he absolutely loved the game. He said, right, you come to Ibiza and I'll tell you all my stories. So I went and had three days with Nasser Chadley just talking football manager whilst he was you know, Spurs, Spurs player at this time. And um, we did like Carlo Cudicini. He, he was great. Um, and just some of them were like really simple, just nice stories. And other guys just completely, um, completely mad. The one, one I want, the one I wanted to do, we couldn't quite get away. Was there was a guy who discovered the largest ever dinosaur in uh, Argentina, down in Patagonia, um, and he named the dinosaur after one of the players in his team, one of the regens that are in, that come up in the game. And he, st- he asked the dinosaur for tactics, you know, ahead of a big game. So you, I could see the shot of him just like talking to this huge dinosaur, like 20 foot tall dinosaur, saying, should I, should I play him left back or um, <laughs> put him in the middle of the park today and all the rest of it? Um, so that was great. And, and that's kind of came about through, through, that, through that, really, because the business director, a guy called Dr. Tom Markham, uh, he's a business director, a football manager. And um, uh, I got on very well with Tom. Um, um, become very good friends with him, and, and uh, he, he, we, we showed the film in Paris at a, a film festival, and he said, "I've got a story for you, but I can't, I can't tell you what it is on the way out." And then, you know, um, Bordeaux is a very powerful thing, and uh, you know, a couple of bottles of that later, then he starts telling us the story of Kaiser, and I'm going, "This is unbelievable! I can't believe this!" this is like, he said, "Do you think it make a film?" I said, "It's an amazing film." And for those that don't know, the, 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 it's not a premise, this happened. This is a guy called Carlos Kaiser who um, was wanted to be a professional footballer in Rio de Janeiro, uh, but didn't have any talent um, or ability to make it as a professional footballer. But he also didn't really um, want to do any work either. So rather, so he made his way in life by pretending to be a professional footballer and became a professional footballer. He signed contracts at really famous clubs in Brazil and around the world. Um, and um, managed to uh, continue getting these contracts, became friends with the superstars of the sort of 80s and 90s. So this is sort of started sort of mid-80s, this, um, and became friends with them, and they loved him. So the players used to vouch for him. He got in well with all the football owners at the, at the time, so pretty much all the Rio clubs uh, in Rio de Janeiro um, were, were owned by Bicheros, Mafia, Bosses, and uh, he used to bring the parties to the mafia bosses. So they didn't mind extending his contracts and giving him little three-month deals. And he would use then that, like the professional footballer's card and photos of him with very famous players as um, currency to go and get um, amazing spots in nightclubs and restaurants and holiday homes and all the rest of it. And he became kind of like the fixer of Rio de Janeiro. He was kind of known as the, the most influential man in Rio for about 10 years because he could sort out anything. And, and and eventually all the celebrities would go and party and, and he would be the fixer for the celebrities. There's loads of stories of him going out with George Michael and um, Gabriel Sabatini and, and all these these amazing, um, uh, you know, right, right, a right range of people. And um, uh, and he was an absolute con man. I mean, he's I'd say he's the best con man uh, in living history because um, he, if, if you take it, if you take something like Catch Me If You Can, which is a great film, um, mm. the guy uh, pretends to be someone to to be rich, and he does it by putting on a pilot suit and getting on a plane. 
or putting on a doctor's thing and, and sitting in the office for, for a couple of days. This guy, you know, successfully was a professional football player for 26 years and never, he never went on the pitch, ever went on the pitch. He was absolutely terrible. He used to fake injuries. Um, yeah, having having watched recently, the bit I liked the best was when he was so, the closest he got to coming on the pitch was when he was warming up, wasn't he, as a sub or something. And then he was so desperate to not play because the owner was a, a mafia boss or something like that that he actually got into the crowd and fought someone. And got himself yeah, yeah. off or something like that, wasn't it? Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So he, yeah, the the owner of a guy called Castel de Andrade, who's the, the the biggest mafia boss in Brazil for yeah, a good fifteen years, uh, the most dangerous man in Brazil. Um, who, I mean, his network included Joe Avalanche and all the FIFA bosses and all the rest of it. Uh, so the yeah, um, he 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 um, he he wanted cut to see Kaiser play because they were two 0 down against Trujillo, and uh, yeah, Kaiser. Uh, he'd been out nightclubbing all night uh, and so he'd had no sleep, got to uh, Bangu, which is miles away in the, the, the west part of Rio de Janeiro. And um, uh, yeah, he, he, he was sweating, didn't want to come on the pitch. He was forced to come on the pitch. So he started a fight with his own fans and got sent off before he had to come onto the pitch. And, and he would, <laughs> and a lot, it was amazing. And a lot of his currency, um, a lot of how he did this was really small interactions. So, um, and it was about enabling people. So it's about giving, telling, I mean, Carl isn't necessarily um, making you do something you don't want to do. It's enabling you to do something you do want to do, right? So by bringing the party, um, he got out of that situation because Castle D'Andrade came down and he wanted to hurt him and all the rest of it. Um, but Kaiser concocted a story that the fans were saying that uh, they were calling Castor a, a drug trafficker uh, and... Um, that they they were accusing him of the murder that had happened a couple of days before, which had happened, uh, and he said he had to defend his honour and all the rest of it. And Castor loved it and extended his contract for another three months, right? Um, so, uh, but you know, but prior to all that, he'd already obviously bought the party for Castor, right? You know, so like he just had a way with words, and he'd get you on board really quickly, and he'll tell you what you want to hear. Um, and and look, I mean, it's it's just it's. He's kind of a con man. He's a liar. Um, he's he's a mythological character in a way. Mm. Um, and but he is part of the fabric of Brazilian football. And, and look, I mean, we had, um, I mean, Carlos Alberto Torres was one of our. I mean, we went there on a whim, right? Mm. We, we we were like, we've got to make this story. And we're like, how do we do it? It's like, well, it's going to be expensive because it's we're going to shoot this in in Rio, and you want it to look good, and um, so you, you can't. You go along with a toy camera. You got to go along, and we took it to Will and Steve, who are an amazing uh, directors of photography. They do really high-end stuff. Um, and um, we had no idea if we were going to find the guy um, at all, uh, and we didn't really know what the stories were. We just heard, um, uh, we just read what we had read online. We, I, I know Tim Vickery pretty, pretty well, and um, I, I contacted him and, and we met up in London and he confirmed the stories like the best story that he'd heard of living in 18 years in Rio at the time and so we knew we had to go and do it but he's still kind of just a bit unsure and we went over and like you know we met him and he limped up and had this kind of jet black um, dyed mullet and limping because he's obviously always feigning injury and all the rest of it and and for three hours, he just had it in the palm of his hands. I mean, and most of which he could never put in a film because he, the, the libel cases would be off, 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 you know, off map, right? <laughs> but all of those, I believe, I never. He, but he claimed he was a really good footballer, see, because it was part of his thing that you know he wants. He just couldn't be bothered to play and stuff. And then for the first three days, we were like, oh, 
you know, what are we going to do? Okay, so we, we interviewed him, so we did that. And then there's, there's interviews some people that we can speak to that can verify this. And we were meeting dodgy doctors, like the team doctors in Lapa, which is the nightclub district at night. But they're wearing shorts and T-shirts. And there's no really way of verifying if they were actual doctors and stuff and dentists and all the rest of it. And then we ended up in a brothel with a transgender stripper who was claiming to have never had sexual relationships with this man. <laughs> and I was like, what are we doing? This is all a bit, this is all a bit, you know, surreal. And then we thought, we wasted a lot of money here coming here and doing this. Um, and then um, we get word that Carlos Alberto Torres was, you know, captain of the 1970 World Cup team, was more than happy to do an interview, went to his office. And and then he said, yeah, he said he's the biggest enigma in, in Brazilian football. I had him at Flamengo and at Botafogo. I knew he was terrible. Um but he was there and I couldn't get rid of him. I didn't know how he could <laughs> to be there. I didn't want him in the side, but I let him train. Uh, and he was, and, and he had a contract in the club, but I couldn't, because managers in Brazil, they, they last three months anyway, or six months. They're always shopping and changing. Um, but then once you have that interview, you're like, okay, this is pretty good. And then we met a couple of others. We met Gonçalves, who played in 1998, and he was, he was just in bits with all the stories about guys. I was like, okay, there's something here. And then we kept on going back for more and more trips and, um, you know, and you meet you meet him with everyone. I mean, yeah, from Bebeto um, to Romario. Yeah, Zico, I think. Was Zico? Yeah, Zico. Well? Yeah, 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 Zico. We had a kickabout with Zico's kickabout as well. This is like amazing experiences, right? Yeah. Um, um, but then you were meeting so Matthew. Was the guy who we basically pretended to be quite a lot of the time as well, who I can't remember the name of, but as I, was, I didn't know about him, but he's a Brazilian international and played in... And especially one of the best of his generation, wasn't he? Was it Renato or something like that? Or? Yeah, yes, exactly. So how, how he did a lot of this is, and how he's kind of way into it is that he looked very similar to a guy called Renato Gaucho, who was a striker. Oh. And he, in the domestic leagues in Brazil, he was, you know, the Harry Kane of his generation. Very powerful. A time where, you know, you're talking after the the 82 team, who was obviously very, very skillful. And they were still skillful in 86, but he was very powerful. So could dominate a lot in that league because uh, he was super physical. Um, and he looked like him and started pretending to be him. And then, and then Renato found out that there was a guy pretending to be, be him. And he was like, oh, dude, look at this, having fun, not hurting him, let him do it. Then they met and then they just got on. And that was kind of his ticket into, into a lot of this world because then he was going out with Renato and they were like, they look like brothers. I mean, like, to put it this way, there's a guy now in 20 years old, I think he plays with Fluminense last time I checked, who's called Renato Kaiser, right? Um, because, you know, they were the men about town. Um, and um, uh, they uh, so um, and and yeah, I mean, they, you know that. And, and look, everyone, everyone knew Kaiser. I mean, there's absolutely everyone, including a lot of people who refused to go on the film. You know, they're very famous. Yeah. Um, and and so that's kind of how he did it. And and he was he was it's all, it's all fake. I mean, like he never played um, at some of the clubs he claimed he was at. He never was. You can never get a true timeline, but. Is, uh, and that's why I say it's a bit of a myth because you can't quite depict and a lot of people fall into the trap of saying well he was here at this year and here and that year and which is why Brazilians have found it very hard to make the film because they were looking at it very literally and trying to like prove um, or certainly the ones that we knew had tried to make it that's why they pulled out because they just couldn't get there whereas we, I was looking at it I was like and this is just an incredible tale it's just the, the power of belief which is what the film's about it's not really a sports film it's about it's about um, how do you do something like this? 
And that's why I say he's the best con man in, in history, because we couldn't find even the people that have ended up unturning how he did it, which is kind of the film when I won't go into that and you know, have to watch him do it. They don't hate him. They love him. They absolutely love him. Like There's no one can say a bad word about, about the guy. Um, and, y y you know, um, I'm sure a lot of con men who do their, do their thing, they end up in jail, don't they, and all the rest of it. But these people were happy to be on camera. They wanted to celebrate this story because they just thought it was the best kept secret in... Uh, I mean, Roberto just said, this is the best story in Brazilian football, better than any of us, than anything that we achieved, he said, because you can't believe it's real. It's the biggest character going. So it, it, amazing, an amazing sort of two years putting it together because we were li we were li we were trying to work out the story as we went. Um, as I said, we met up with mafia bosses. They were starting to look into us um, because we might unravel what mm. they were doing. So we were getting nods. I was just going to ask you about that, yeah. Get yeah, to yeah, carefully. Well, Oh, yeah, yeah, because it's part drama, the film, so it's a documentary drama, and when we were casting the drama scenes, um, there's another mafia guy called Emil Pinera, he's, he's passed away, he was managed, he, he ran Boston Pogo Football Club, and his nephew turned up, uh, casting, well, this is good, and I was doing the first castings back in London, and he just looks directly into the camera and he says, you need to treat my uncle with the respect that he deserves. And then they were like, okay, so have you done the audition? He's like, yeah, I'll do the audition as well. So we did the audition. So, okay, fine. Thanks. We'll, we'll see you again um, soon. We'll let you know if anything's going to happen. So then obviously we change, um, we change everything. We change casting producers. We change locations. You take all the right steps because you, do, you want to protect everyone on there. So we're thinking three weeks later, he doesn't know this is even going to happen. And then we're, we're doing the audition and then he just turns up out of nowhere again. But this time there's a gun in the bag. And you're thinking, I can see it popping out of this, of this, this like little hole, like the classic hole thing. And, and I'm there this time and I'm thinking, oh, this is quite serious. And then so, um, and I won't, again, I won't ruin the film because it's one of the best bits, but you know, we get him to, to do the famous scene with his uncle, which is quite lewd. And, um, and, um, uh, he does the same thing. He says, you need to treat my uncle the respect he deserves. And then he does this very lewd scene as, as, a, as, a, as an audition. And then I'm, at that time, I can't keep my mouth closed. I'm laughing so much um, because the whole thing's completely ridiculous. <laughs> and, and then I just said, look, this is, honestly, there's nothing to worry about. This isn't about uncovering. I don't really don't care about the, the about how things were done here. I care about this story. And, and look, you know, no one's ever ever come back so yeah so you're getting you're getting that sort of bit and and castle d'androgi's sort of um nephews in charge of rio de janeiro bicheros at the moment and i mean we we kind of asked he wants to be part of the film actually because we sent him the trailer and he absolutely loved it so i want to be part of it so, so yeah we and, and just and then and then trying to piece together the story and cover it and, and get what we get in the film and so it's very much comes across on steam screen how we how we found it um uh, uh kind of incredible really yeah, I mean, like, I'd heard about before I did the whole film, but it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just incredible that 26 years to get away with basically not playing football but getting a living out of it is just incredible. There's probably well, a joke I... to be had here, isn't there, about some of the players we've had at the Albion? But we, we may relieve that one. They, they, they've at least appeared on the pitch briefly, if nothing else. Even Kelly <laughs> Dye played on like 20 minutes of Southampton, didn't he? Well, yeah. he played 26 minutes, didn't he? And Kaiser yeah. did 26 years. So, and and <laughs> he was actually an all right footballer because he was playing at like Darlington or wherever. And, you know, he was pretty decent yeah. at lower league, league levels. So, you know, that's, that's the one that everyone always refers to. And everyone's like, you can make a documentary about that. It's like, ah, that's, that's one moment. You know, you, you've got to have quite a few more of those to, 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 to get through it. But yeah, I mean, incredible. 26 minutes each that he might have got a documentary. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's on it's on Amazon Prime now. If anyone's tempted to go and watch, it's on there till the end of the year, I think, and then we go again. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's weird because it was sort of officially registered. I think it's 2018, isn't it? Presumably the release date. Um, and it's strange because um, Kevin Day, who we, we've had on our podcast, um, he was talking on the Price of Football with Kieran um, and mentioned it and sort of seemed to be talking about it as if it's a new release. I think he he thought it was a new release. But he just got wind of it more recently. I don't know if that's the case or not, whether I misheard it. But, no, um, no, no, you, you heard that right. It, no, we, we had a cinema release in 2018 and then we were available on DVD to buy yeah. the rest of it. And then, yeah, um, I caught it in the first reasons, lockdown. I can't get, yeah, first lockdown. Oh, good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it was off the back of Tim Vickery, who you mentioned, um, a regular listener to the World Football Phone-In, and, and he was waxing lyrical about it and talking about that that character himself, a real-life character, um, on one of the episodes of uh, World Football Phone-In, which is a great, a great podcast slash radio show if you ever want to check that out, anybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's what tickled my fancy for it and then I um, I was delighted to find it was on Amazon and got to check it out there because I, I don't think I was yeah, able to get to football would have quite a lot to say about Brazilian football teams for the sound of it <laughs> They'd be quite a lot of content, but maybe a little bit more scary to produce it to, to talk about it yeah 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 um well but yeah fabulous experience and yeah please, please if, you, if you're interested have a look um it's uh, it's nice to it's nice. I mean, it's gone back on. Like, so it was on Amazon, then it comes on, and, and this is what happens with films. It's a bit like a film mm. that goes on Netflix for a bit, and then comes off. And uh, so various deals are done at various times for it. Yeah. Uh, all of which I've learned on the job. I didn't know any of this before going into the into the business. And um, but yeah, it's nice. You, you get quite a lot of messages at the moment because it's just gone back on there a couple of months ago. And uh, that's that's why Kevin said that then. Yeah. 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 That happens a lot, doesn't it? The jump, chopping and changing. I'm a massive film fan, yeah. so I'm always pursuing particular films I will, already want to see, and it's it's quite a chase sometimes finding them. But yeah, uh, I do yeah, recommend. Yeah. I thoroughly recommend checking it out. It's a great, great film. Really enjoyed it. I did know you were an Albion fan um, at the time when I went to see uh, when, when I saw it. Um, so I, I, not that really made a difference to the experience itself, but it was an extra motivation to watch it. Thinking, oh, as an Albion fan's made this great. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, well, I was in the no, I was in the I was in the air when we won promotion, and I just pretended that we'd won it. I did, uh, oh. And then I, and then so I thought, sod it, I'll get on the. I we'd done so much flying, even though I couldn't fly business class, I had the points to go into the lounge. So I, I treated myself to Bucks Fizz before the twelve twelve o'clock flight to Rio, and then I just Brilliant. pretended at five o'clock that we'd gone up, and then I had to get the captain to um, to check in to see what the football scores were and then he confirmed he'd gone up so then I pleaded for some bubbly from first class which we got um, oh, so, while you were on the pitch uh, but um, uh, well, the Wigan game wasn't it yeah it was celebrating hmm. uh, many kilometres up in the air yeah yeah oh brilliant superb well we'll probably take a break there in a minute but just to mention we are recording this back holiday Monday evening um, the results have gone alright for us so far West Brom won Wolves won in the derby match there which suits us. Burnley um, took an early lead, quickly equalised West Ham. They're now winning West Ham early in the second half, 2-1, according to my screen anyway. Um, so we'll update that one later on, even though everyone will know the score by the time they listen to this podcast. But nonetheless, um, things are going well after us this weekend. And on that subject, of course, the um, big match of the weekend, our victory over Leeds, is the subject for discussion when we come back in just a moment.
Okay, and welcome back to the second part of this special. With Peter and I, we have Louis Miles, film director, Albion fan. Um, sticking with us, Louis. Everything all right so far? Enjoying yourself? I am enjoying myself, yeah. I've talked about myself for 20 minutes. It's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. That's, that's what we're here for. Yeah. It's just yeah, like, as we've uh... already said, it's like being down the pub having a chat, which is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, and especially after games, we're used to doing that in the past, weren't we? Going to, going to the pub and chatting about games. We had one that would definitely have been worthy of plenty of chat. The Leeds match of the weekend, where we, um, as I mentioned in the intro, got our customary victory against them. Always a pleasure. Um, Leeds have now lost five straight games at the Amex with an aggregate of 11-0. That's delicious, isn't it? And um, we've also won eight out of nine games overall. The one that we did lose was in our promotion year when they their fans ill-advisedly mocked us, uh, saying um, you're going to fuck it up basically. And uh, before going on to then uh, well, us going on to then storm it to promotion, while they flopped in the playoffs, so it was absolutely beautiful. Um, so we we have got a great record against them. I was confident going into the game. We didn't do a preview show, but um, I was confident going into the game that we could get a result. It's the kind of team that. This incarnation of the Albion is very um, happy to play against. We prefer teams like that, don't we? And we've had the result against Murder in the season, therefore doing the double now. Um, pretty happy days. Did you watch get watch the game, Louis? I did. It was brilliant. Yeah. And it was also really predictable that we would lose against Sheffield United and beat Leeds, I felt. hundred <laughs> percent. You just knew, and we know we're going to pick up a point at Wolves next week. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be a really drab nil-nil one-all game. And then we'll probably play pretty well against West Ham and m- maybe get the win, but probably a draw. And then go yeah. beat Arsenal. That's how it's going to go. You, you just work. That's just, it's just, you can see it. And we're so safe now, so it's all right. But it was, it was, yeah, it was lovely. Um, and it's always, it's always really interesting when something's riding on it because you're more tense than you should be. Um, because Leeds just, I mean, I, I mean, and, and, very much the way we set up um, stop them from playing and obviously them not having Calvin Phillips makes a big difference but you know by stopping them getting the ball anywhere centrally to go through the thirds um, was the major reason why they didn't create anything and um, and they just they had nothing really did they but I still we all until that until Welves put in that guy Welves they call him don't they until until, Welves, until yeah. yeah until until he uh, and, and what a goal until that went in, you're you're always nervous, aren't you? And you always think it's going to go wrong. But really, like, and I think the match of the day highlights kind of summed it up. Really, it was they had what two chances, both of which were one was well over and the other one was just slightly over, and that was that was the sum of all their parts. So fantastic. Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, the lineup, by the way, Sanchez. We have White, of course, the uh, the man that Leeds let go. Yeah, they would have you believe. <laughs> um, with Duncan Webster, uh, Veltman and Byrne in the wing back roles. Grosh and Basuma deeper mid with Trossard ahead, and then more paying well back up front. Three four one two. BBC would have you believe. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was uh, that was the lineup. It was a pretty good game from our point of view. The stats. Quite typically, when we lose, we've got forty-two percent. I think is the general consensus, um, which is usually when we win games, we don't win them when we have possession because it means we're playing against a deep block and it never goes right. As you said, the Sheffield United game being a typical case in point. Um, Seventeen shots to eleven, five on target to their two. They had more corners, but that was about it, really. Um, and 
all in all, just, yeah, a great day at the office. Uh, Peter, what's your take on it? Do you want to come in at this point with your views? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously they do miss Phillips and they miss Rafinha as well, which is a, a big loss to them. But also I, I do think Leeds are, you know, potentially, you know, could be struggling next season if they did lose Phillips. That's the worry for them. Their record without him is so bad. You look at, we've had no Lamptey since Christmas, no March for the last of the months, no Webster for a while, for, you know, for a spell as well. Obviously, I mean, technically, it's Guerrero and Andoni out all season, pretty much. You know, we've we've had you know injuries so so long term that people forget about them when they talk about that sort of thing. Whereas Phillips and Rafinha, they mentioned a lot because they were out for that one game or something like that. Whereas, the, so I think Leeds have actually got problems. They need to sort out what happens if Phillips isn't fit. That's going to be a, a big issue for them. Obviously, we benefited twice from it, which has done us quite well. So, I mean, obviously, some games we've been unlucky with availability or selection, but actually, that we benefited twice from Leeds without Phillips, which has been really good. But yeah, I thought we were, I mean, yeah, it was always a nervousness, especially as we missed all those chances with, as Louis was saying, you know, the more chances you miss, the more you think, oh God, they're going to get an equaliser from somewhere. And actually 10 minutes later, they get a goal, then, you know, could they go on and win it as well? Um, and then, yeah, Welbeck's brilliant goal changed all that. And that was it then from that point. But they never really looked like doing much. I mean, the fact they took Bamford off after an hour when he's their top scorer and they needed a goal was almost a reflection of the way they were playing, I think. And they it seemed a very odd decision to take off your main goal scorer when you're desperate for a goal. Absolutely. But... I, I agree with you about the um, Phillips. They do miss him. Yeah, I mean, they can argue their case on that one, but we were missing Lamptey and March and others besides Lalana yeah. for this game as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it swings on roundabouts. But yeah, he is a big miss for them, to be fair. And I think he might be a big miss for them all next season because I think the likes of Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, maybe even Man U might be looking for a player like that to... Uh, to fit the bill because I think he's a really good player. I was about to say, I I'm not even sure he's that brilliant. He reminds me of uh, he's oh, good, right. um, hmm. um, but when he played for England, he hasn't really impressed me like playing at that level against some pretty average teams. And I, th hmm. I think he's very good in the role that uh, Bielsa plays in him. And in, in that, in, and I'd probably compare him personally to Liam Bridcut, who was absolutely fabulous for Brighton, um, but then when he went on elsewhere and he wasn't playing in Gus's system um you know didn't hasn't quite you know hasn't there's obviously something missing from his locker somewhere on the line otherwise he would have continued playing at championship and premier league level and I I just wonder if you take Calvin Phillips and put him somewhere else in another team not performing that kind of connecting role um would he would he would he would he stand out in a way that say uh, I guess N'Golo Conte Kante has you know, that he's, he was a Wolves carrier at Leicester and sometimes plays a bit further forward for Chelsea and is still really aggressive, still really into it. And also the way you know that uh, if and when Yves Bissouma moves on to a massive club, he will perform well because you can just see it. You can see you can see he's got more in his locker than just stopping a ball and, and, and moving it forward. I don't know. I mean, maybe I've read it completely wrong, but I, I, hmm. I sort of wonder if the hype behind him is a little bit. And they obviously miss him because he's the cog. He's the he's the reason yeah. that team kick, that that team clicks, right? Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, different perspectives. Everyone sees it through different eyes, don't they? And it, it, yeah, I mean, I would be interested to see what happens if he does go to another club, or maybe maybe Bielsa gets the England job, and then uh, Phillips might do the business for England. <laughs> but um. Who knows? Uh, also might get the Tottenham job. That's another one we might come to in a bit more detail in a minute. But um, yeah, I mean, certainly they missed him. Um, I don't think they offered too much of a threat. threat. They were trying to create threats in the wide positions, weren't they, they as they did in the first game? Five corners in a row in the first half in about a space of like less than mm. five, about three or four minutes where 
well, Burn almost scored an own goal, and oh, Veltman almost scored an own goal technically, and and one or two, and there was a few desperate like kind of last minute, and we didn't seem to work out, but they kept taking short corners, so we only had one player out there, which meant they outnumbered us every time. And yeah, you know, obviously we don't want to have extra players out for the minute if we don't have to, but surely just put two players out there if they keep taking taking short corners. Um, yeah, there was never really any spell of sustained pressure. It was, it was frankly pretty easy. Yeah, it seemed to me that we, um, particularly in the second half when they were chasing the game, but it was just um, almost like um, a soft pressure that was constantly on us. You know, there was it wasn't really they weren't cutting into us, but they they were constantly trying to um, to get at us and not really getting any joy. I think the way we set up, Jack Harrison was interviewed after the game and said something along the lines of really solid, really hard to break down. They we couldn't get ourselves around them, and you know. They certainly struggled in both games. Potter's definitely had the tactical edge on Bielsa in that regard, which is great from our point of view. Um, but I think overall, we we just seem to be very comfortable. We didn't, as you said, we were worrying till the end, Louis, um, until we got that second goal from Welps. But all the, all the same, it did feel fairly relaxed, didn't it? It wasn't too much of a an anxiety in the way that certain other games have presented, I think. No, and it helps getting the early goal, doesn't it? I think um, hmm. it's still nervous because you, you you always want the second, and I think Greg Poss had said as much in his, hmm. his post match interview. But you know, there certainly wasn't. It it would have been a, a terrible mistake or, a, or a, an amazing goal for for it to happen. Yeah. And and you know, we're talking about you know why they they didn't didn't get through us, and and it it really is Potter's tactics. I think. I mean, it's it's so fluid the way that they play and. You notice that if if teams have got possession at the back, then there's there's four pressing up front to to force them into the mistake. And then as soon as the ball's gone past and they haven't got it got got it, then everyone's back into kind of like a five four one in the in or even a five five. You know, so you, so you can't get past, and it forces them out wide. And it's just and it and it's so so fluid, and it changes as the game goes. And um, I mean, I guess we can notice all this just stuff, especially I can this year because we're watching it all on TV rather than being in my position, quite close to the, to the pitch. You can't quite see. You just know that you played well. Um, but from, from from seeing all that, you kind of think, well, you know, it, it's you know, it's really good. It's really good. Ta- it's really good game management. It's really good tactics. It just needs someone to put the ball in the back of the, dip, in the net a bit more often. And and you know, I'm sure this podcast, other podcasts, uh, and uh, anyone Albion related will. You know, talk bemoan the the lack of a decent goal scorer or, or enough or enough time on the pitch for a decent goal scorer, as it were. Uh, we mentioned it once or twice, haven't we, Peter? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like a broken record. I'm sure we don't need to go into it again. But I mean, it's you know, you could see it with Mopay. He's got everything about his game, and I think he's great. But you know, there's that chance in the second half, and he just snatches at it. It's just timing's just off, and I. I, I I assume you can get over it. I know. I know Warren Aspinall was saying that, you know, in the championship you'll get twenty goals doing that because you have six chances a game, um, and whereas in the Premier League you get two or three, and you, you, you know, so your chances of scoring go 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 quite low. And, and uh, I also saw Andy Nader tweet out his actual miss ratio is actually not too bad. It's just he's not getting the, the amount of chances. Mm. So, but you know, you you stick a. I mean, a crikey. I mean, Sergio Aguero is going for free, isn't he, at the end of the season? We're not going to get him. But if you put him in, I mean, blimey, where would we be? You know, you just... Well, 
Yeah, I mean, as you said, we're not going to get him, but we should definitely go for the hard sell. Brighton's a great place to live. You don't need to prove yourself to anyone. A different challenge would be the way to really make your mark at this stage, Sergio. Um, it, it could work because, you know, we probably finished, I think it's roughly sort of 1.7 mil per position or something, isn't it? We would probably finish something like eight positions higher. It'd probably be worth about um, 13, 14, 15 million um, in, in earnings if he played for us on a fairly regular basis. That's the question with injuries as well, isn't it? Um, but, but you could get quite a bit of money back that way, plus the shirt sales. And there's well, no fee to pay apart from a signing on fee. And, and then obviously the wages, that's where it would be. But you can make an exception on the wage front, breaking the... Break our wage bill, yeah. Kind of our wage I think we could for him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, well, he's not going to get him. Stranger things have it? happened. You know, yeah. remember when we saw Craig McHale Smith, how could that fail? Oh no, that's a terrible example. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you mentioned possibly the uh, yeah, I suppose would be the uh, example. <laughs> yeah, you you mentioned earlier Louis in, in passing Darlington, and uh, do you remember the time that George Reynolds, who passed away actually quite recently, the famous safe cracker, um, come Darlington owner of the past. Um, he died, died I think last week or last month. Um, but he was parading Tino Espria on the side of the pitch at one point um, under the genuine premise that he was going to sign him. Admittedly, he didn't, but uh, that created a bit of interest. But I don't know. It, w- it would be wonderful to have someone like him. Not, I can't see anything like that happening. But well, as you said, it's all for the same. But, 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 you know, I can see it more happening than signing that Tony from, um, I don't know how to say his name, from Brentford or who's the guy yeah. at Blackburn who's scoring loads is at Armstrong. Armstrong, you know, Armstrong yeah. Yeah, these guys are getting, you know, 30 or 40 million quid to buy a championship striker these days. So, mm. you know, I don't know. Sergio Guerrero on a free. I mean, I'm sure his wages will come in more than 15 million a year. But, um, yeah. it, it, uh, you, you live for dream. I'm sure they, I'm sure the, um, the scouts and the recruitment. I mean, we nearly ended up with, um, uh, who was it from, who ended up at Benfica? Uh, yeah. is it Darwin? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Darwin Nunes, wasn't it? Was yeah, that that's right. And yeah. I, I actually saw him. I was doing some work for UEFA uh, last year and I saw quite a bit of him. And, I, and at the time, he was putting them, putting a lot away, scoring hat-tricks. And you're thinking, you know what? They were right. If they got him and he performed like that, you know. Um, so they, they are bidding on the right people. But it's, it's you know, it's going to be a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, you know, who's playing probably Spanish second division. Um, yeah. um, probably someone from Almeria again, and, uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and you know, because we've had success with that in the past with uh, Michelle and uh, Hemet. But um, yeah, uh, look, we'll see. I mean, I'm sure there's, a, I'm sure there's a plan in place, but I guess they haven't got too much cash after after the last year. But we'll see. Yeah, indeed. Um, so on the Leeds game, yeah, just a few more things. I mean, I thought there were quite a few outstanding performances, really good play. Burn, I think, is much maligned in some quarters, at least to some degree. I thought he had a really good game. I'll give you a man of the match, possibly. Basuma, of course, Sean again. Bobby Sanch, um, looking as composed, calm and domineering at the back as ever in between the posts. Um, obviously, well back. Sanchez, I mean, he was... He didn't really have a proper he, save to make, did he? He didn't, no. It's more to do with the command of the area of corners and crosses, wasn't it, really, in this case. But, yeah, he looked as assured as ever. Webster, I think, was coming back to more like his old self. Obviously, Danny Welbeck, we'll get on to him a little bit in a second. But also, Trossard, I thought, had quite a good game. He had um, he worked a good opening, which wasn't a great shot in the end, but he worked a good opening early on. Should have done better with that other chance he had after um, 
the ball was sort of stretched on a stretch had been passed across the, the, the box, hadn't it? And he, he sort of siphoned it over, I think. Um, but overall, his overall play was pretty good. I, I, I thought any assists, Drossard, actually. You got, I thought mm. like North Sanchez, he got quite a lot of stick on there because of that miss and not, no real mention of the fact that he set up Mope's chance. He set up the one for Basuma. He set up Welbeck's chance in the first half. He set up a couple for himself in the first half. He actually, as you say, had a really good game, I thought, so. Yeah, and Ben White, of course, who played well in the previous game against Leeds, um, probably wanting to prove a point, maybe having some inside info as well, <laughs> might have been another reason. Um, but he's he shone, didn't he? And he was getting really far forward again, as he did in the previous game against Leeds and in some of the other games he's played. He really was getting into advanced positions in this one. But Veltman played really well as well, as he pretty much yeah. had every game for us. I mean, you can I don't remember him having a bad game, to be honest. Yeah, if you do team of the season, who would you have at right back? Would it be Lamptey or Veltman? Because I mean, obviously yeah. Lamptey was so good. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like it's it's not fair, is it? Because I think Veltman's been so classy. You know what a signing he has been. Um, yeah, you can't be many better, you know, pound for pound signings that this season than Veltman at nine hundred grand. I mean, that's no, like unbelievable, ridiculous. That's a really good question, actually, Louis. I think that's a tough one to answer, isn't it? Because how do you balance? Yeah, how do you square the kind of the lack of game time versus the star appeal and how how much he shone in that early stage versus a guy who's been really solid, not as quite you know dazzling, but he's been very good um, this season. I, I suppose you'd have to give it, in fairness, development on the balance of games played amongst other things. But it is a it's a tricky one. That other people would answer differently, I'm sure. Same problem. We're going to have at the start of next season again as well with who we play in defence because. Hmm. Unless they decide that, you know, if Pesuma goes, they decide that White moves forward to midfield to provide more cover, they're going to have to not start one of White, Webster, Dunk, um, uh, Veltman and, and Lamptey at least. So hmm. who do they pick from that? I mean, it's a it's a good issue to have. but Indeed, absolutely. And, and yeah, plen- plenty of questions to be answered in the summer with the window. Um, I'm sure Jim White will be getting excited about all such things as well, come the time. Um but in terms of the game, yeah, the goals, obviously it was about the goals. We could have scored more. We did get, get two. Danny Welbeck was at the heart of most of this stuff. He won the penalty, if that's the right expression. No one likes that expression, do they? Well, he, he gained us the penalty, shall we say, um, after he was impeded in the box. I don't think there was any debate about the, the outcome. I know some, some of the Leeds bench weren't happy at the time, and I haven't read anything on social media because Leeds fans just wind me up. Uh, but um, I'm sure plenty of them were complaining. But in... lose the little old Brighton, there, you know, it's embarrassing. <laughs> they, yeah. they, have, they have a basic amnesia when they play us, the, the Leeds fans. It's, um, it's delightfully know. delusional, isn't it? It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. They, they always think they expect to beat us without actually looking at the record. I remember, what was that, that game with Thompson 4-0 or something? And I remember coming down on the train from London with a bunch of Leeds fans. And I was saying, I think you've only beaten us once since, you know, the turn of the millennium. And then we beat them 4-0. And I think they got on the train with those same Leeds fans. It's like, how does it feel? And they were, they were like, they got all upset saying, oh, I can't believe this. It's like, well, did, you know, just look at the form. It's, just, you know, it's always us. You know, we always yeah. beat you. And, uh, yeah. you know, it'll be the same again next year. The teams like and as we said, yeah, yeah, exactly. Teams like Brighton and Leeds will be full of bravado again. I mean, as you said, this is the first time that um, they've finished above us in, well, more or less a generation now, which is... Um, which is great. Um, yeah, so so Welps won the pen, so to speak, uh, and Pascal Gross, maybe people were um, nervous, us having another penalty. It didn't go too well last time, did it, at West Brom with those. Um, but he got it on target this time. 
uh, low into the side inside netting. Um, Goldie did go the right way, but couldn't get to it. I think I think it was a good nerves of steel penalty. To be honest, it was accurate enough that the, I don't think the goalkeeper could have done much more. I think it was well taken. Good to see him back on track. The um, Amazon Prime commentators who kept saying that Gross hadn't missed a penalty all season. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, the coverage isn't the best, really, is it? It was good to see they had um, a one-sided representation in the punditry stakes, though, with Paul Robinson there and nobody from the Albion whatsoever. Same old, same old. Um, They're not the only ones guilty of that. but, um, But yeah, I mean, so the penalty was buried nicely. Let's talk about the second goal. Danny Welbeck. I think everyone was absolutely drooling over this yeah. one. Plenty of neutrals I've spoken to as well were just in awe of it, saying absolutely beautiful. Um, what a goal. Before Peter. we get too much into the brilliance of Welbeck, I thought Mope did really well to hassle them. He kind of forced the, the yeah. poor clearance. I mean, for all the you're saying about the chance, he does offer something. And he, yeah, that's where he's really good at hassling defenders and putting them under pressure. And he, it was him who was putting them under pressure after Webster's header that then led to them kind of the clearance being pretty useless, to be honest, and then... Yeah, fair play to Morps. He did work hard, I think, in this game, and he's good at creating space for others, isn't he, I think? And, yeah, I mean, it, it worked the space. He had loads of space for himself when he got we took that, that chance that he missed. <laughs> it's kind of... Yeah. He didn't take advantage of it. Absolutely. There, I mean, there is that, yeah. But, uh, you know, he, he, he did his job. Danny Welbeck still had plenty to do, and with one... Well, it's not really Pascal Grosh, Pascal Pirouette, but it was something akin to that, wasn't it? Took out three players with one movement, still had it all to do with a, with a good finish being required, buried it in the bottom corner or the far corner. Um, a beautiful goal. Louis, you've got to love those kind of goals, haven't you? Uh, I mean, look, I mean, I, to be fair, it was well, um, it was well covered on, on the on the TV broadcast and match of the day. We were saying it was an amazing goal, but look, if that was scored by... Um, a Cavani or a you know a Messi or whatever, um, it it would have been you know you know it would have been all over social media. I mean to be fair, well well Welbeck does come with his social media heroes. I know he's, he's still well loved by Arsenal United fans, but just one of those ones you want to be in the stadium for. You know, I mean, I think yeah. I think my last game at the Amex was um, the Chelsea game uh, with Jack and Bash, and that moment. Yeah. You know, it just, just, just wonderful. Like that kind of big gasp. Did that really happen? And I think it was one of those goals, wasn't it? That just the touch, and and it's in a way, it's really simple. I mean, Pascal, how many Cruyff turns does Pascal Gross do in a game? You know, exactly. uh, and and I can't believe that all these teams don't read the Pascal Gross playbook um, because he always seems <laughs> to get away with it. Um, <laughs> um, but. Um, you know, but but he did it, and it was just so well. To, you know, just open up the space just with that one touch, and and then just put it away. And you know, how many punts of Harvey's would we have had? Oh, oh, <laughs> just a few, <laughs> I think. Delicious pints and pies. Just a few. Even up my diet for the day, <laughs> for the weekend, <laughs> for the knowledge of staying up for another season. <laughs> yeah, we, we've had a, a lot of cracking goals at the Amex through the years. I have to say that the one you mentioned, the Johan Batch Chelsea, it's a very rare miss for me. It's one of the games I haven't managed to get to. I was gutted with that. So I can verify, you know, what, you, what you're saying about it's one you want to be in the stadium for, because uh, the Welbeck one was certainly like that too. A great finish. It sealed the game. And what's more, I mean, this was a, a rare three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday as well. Um, it was quickly followed by the Chelsea Fulham game. So we got quite quickly to find out 
how much damage that might do. And it did do quite a bit because Fulham were unable to beat Chelsea. They lost 2-0. And that um, pretty much is that, isn't it, now, in terms of the table. Yeah, we're Fulham clear. They were resigned, I think, by the time... I think a combination of that last-minute equaliser by Arsenal in their last game, and then I think everyone above them had won at least once in the intervening period. Then after that, after we won, and it was just yeah. I think it was just taking its toll, and they just didn't look like a team who believed they were going to win a game. That, that yeah. Arsenal, you're right. You're right to pinpoint that Arsenal game. I mean, I, you could. I was watching that, and you could just. I, I felt for Fulham, to be honest. You know, because you that's such a, an unexpected win, and that's a seasons are made of moments like that, and then. The longer it went on, the more you thought it could happen because of the history. And, and look, I mean, it, it, it kind of happens too many times, doesn't it? And it's a problem. Um, but yeah, they, they, I think that, I think that was the end of their season there. And then, and then no one really expected the Newcastle revival, but in a way, I'm quite glad for Brucey because he's a nice man. And, uh, um, they were almost hanging in for Newcastle, weren't they? Because they had them last game and they had the chance yeah. to, you know, at least if they could get within three points of them or something like that, they could potentially beat them. And, yeah, when Which could still happen because Newcastle's games aren't great, um, so it's still not completely away. I mean, they they just need to get get the win, but they've got to win all four, I think, haven't they? Just think yeah, it's probably going to happen. Yeah. And Parker was yeah. trying to claim that that was possible after the game, but I don't think anyone really believed him. Hmm. Exactly. I mean, you've got, to, you've got to keep your pecker up, haven't you? Really, in terms of man, you can get a result for starters, which, given the fact that you, get, yeah. you play twelve twelve men at Man U, it's very difficult. <laughs> No further comment. I can feel another Peter Winge coming on here. Uh, we better better move on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, and then for fast forwarding to today, West Brom have got a one all with Wolves, which is not going to be enough for them. Fulham are now ten behind us. Uh, West Brom, I think, are eleven. Is it now? Um, with four games to go, I mean, I just can't see. So worse as well. That's, I mean, Fulham conceivably, if they if the results went their way, could catch our goal difference. But West Brom are like thirty behind or something. Yeah, so that's uh, that's done and dusted pretty much, isn't it? I mean, any any further thoughts on the game before we move on to a couple of other bits to, to round off? I think that kind of pretty much sums it up. It was just another great day at the office. Always a happy time. Um, after last season, I was a bit gutted that Leeds came up, but now I'm really glad they did so we could do the double over them. <laughs> Indeed. And also the teams that are going down, we didn't beat, did we? No. Be any of the three, yeah, so everyone's going to the score is the same again. Start next season, Brighton going to be tipped to go down because of X, Y, Z. But the way I see it, well, you know, that's yeah, we we, we might win the three. We might get four four beans against all these other teams and end up with whatever. What's how many, how many points that is? It's sort of eighteen you points. Learn to break down teams who defend. Yeah. Deep. Although to be fair, Norwich, yeah. for example, is probably coming up. It's probably quite good for us because they don't yeah. do that. They don't play that way. Yeah, and Watford to a degree. Bournemouth, yeah. if they, if they, for example, if they were the playoff side, uh, they play fairly open as well. Uh, we'd, want and if they don't... Up, we'd want Brentford up, wouldn't we? Just for the yeah. day out. Yeah. Stadium. Yeah, yeah I'd definitely know. be up for that. Yeah, and, uh, 100%. I'm sad Fulham have gone. I would have rather if Burnley would have gone or something, you know, because... Hmm. Yeah, Fulham's always good day out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, what a day out that is. You know, I like Fulham. Um, but you know they've gone, so That's let's have a, let's have a London team. We've got a decent record there as well in the certainly in the championship. Last few years in the championship we played, we always seem to win there. Hmm. Not four yeah. two. We won't mention that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, in other news, then I mean one thing, delightful bit of news. Um, Milivojevic, the Palace captain. I don't know if you heard what he said this week. Apparently, he said Palace is. Uh, he said um, for this season, the team that's impressed me the most are Brighton because they are normally a team who fight to avoid relegation until the end. 
They impress me with their style of football that they play and how many chances they create. They have missed a lot of luck this season, but I think their manager is very good and he has done an amazing job with them. So nice compliment from him. I'm sure that's going to go down really well with the Palace fans. Um, got great to hear. Um, Grand that's Potter a really himself. Odd thing that it was like why why yeah. even if you think that would you say that as a Palace player? Yeah, there's no need to, is there? Particularly, you know. Uh, uh, anyway, well, he, needs to learn is... from Zaha. he knows how to play that game, doesn't he? <laughs> With a fake exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, Graham is obviously one of a number of players that uh, managers has been mentioned in relation to the vacant Spurs job after Jose Mourinho was sacked, bearing bad news during the uh, the lovely Dirty Dozen incident uh, from the other week. Um, he's been linked. Eddie Howe, who is available, has been linked. Um, I think Nuno Espirito Santo, Rafa Benitez, Ralph Ranić, who has a Southwick connection of sorts as well, amongst other things. Gasparini at Atalanta, I think, will be a good choice. I don't know if he's been mentioned, but I think he's one of the better options for them. We've heard mention of Southgate, Roberto Martinez. Um, I think Mauricio Sarri and Steven Gerrard might get thrown in there at some point as well. What we do know is, uh, I think it's Ten Hag, isn't it? Ajax have turned it down um, or said thanks, thanks, but not at the moment. Uh, pretty much the same with Brendan Rodgers at Leicester and somebody else whose name escapes me, I think, is also... Wasn't he, but it was never likely. Oh, that was, that was the other one, yeah. yeah. And he's already agreed to go to Bayern. So um, it's interesting what's going to happen there. It's a little bit nerve-wracking that Graham's probably moved a little bit further up the possible hit list. Um, he's been mentioned, there was an article in the Mail um, by somebody, um, somebody sent me a link to that saying that he's is being um, championed for the cause by whoever the writer was of that rag. Um, but, um, uh, you know, good points, though, that he made. Um, he, he's a good option, I think. I'm hoping they're not going to think he's too good an option. Um, I think that's a good idea. I think, ironically, the, the very issues we've had all season might be the reason that Potter isn't considered at this stage. If hmm. we saw the chances we've had this season and were, like, seventh or eighth, like we could conceivably have been given our expected goals... We might actually be, you know, he'd probably be a very viable option if we were like near Tottenham in the league. But because we've not scored the goals that we needed to, then we're, you know, we're bottom half still. He might well get missed out probably, hopefully, this time. Or put it another way, um, Tottenham have got problems with, or Tottenham fans seem to be hated the way that Mourinho plays. Um, and they've got out of it because they have two superstar strikers who could put the ball in the back of the net. So hmm. put, in a, put in someone who plays beautiful technical football and put in two world-class strikers at the top at the top of all that, and you might have an unbeatable team. Um, Absolutely. Another way of looking at it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, who knows? I mean, I suspect they haven't even started conversations with it. I suspect the six-year contract might might be a saving grace for us in keeping him. But there's a reason why they did that. Um, yeah. But I mean, look. I mean, it's it's it's, it's unfortunately it's the, the position that we're in as a football club. It's like Eve Basuma. How how amazing would it be to see Basuma play this season with us watching him and and him feeling the love of us singing the song and all the rest of it? And the reality is, he's probably going to go this summer. And I don't think anyone yeah. would begrudge him a move because you can't hold people back, you know. And it's the same with Potter. You know, he, he's he's hot right now and. He might not be next season, and and you know, wouldn't you know? Could could we could we reasonably deny him that chance? Probably not, you know. But we'd get. I do point. think, as much as I, you know, I've I've been up and down about Potter, and I, people who listen to the show will know I've been like a bit up and down at times because I didn't think we were progressing, and I think we are now. Um, I do want him to stay, but I think the club are set up in a way that would 
make it easier to find a replacement if he did go because of the way we set up with Ashworth and with the, the, the background yeah. group. I think we are yeah. at least up to do that, you know, so that we, there will be continuity if needed. Even yeah, if, there's always succession planning, isn't there, with yeah, the album, which is so a good thing. Like we'd just be like, oh my God, what do we yeah. do? Now? We'd be, we would have at least, mm. a, you know, we'd, I'm sure we'd have candidates in place if ever, if you know, it happened as an idea of who we might want instead of Potter if he left or something. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, before we round off, I've got to ask you as well, Louis, about um, the PSL, as they're calling it, Dirty Dozen League, as I'm calling it. Um, obviously a huge amount of controversy. We won't go into it in too much detail here, but just to get your overview on it, um, what, what are your thoughts on that? And obviously the, the, the situation that's happened this week, um, there's been um, actually a, a mention of a charter uh, that the Premier League are have announced today that they're going to make um, a club owners sign to in the Premier League, um, which are a number of commitments, obviously to to safeguard the, the, the uh, football as a culture in this country um, at that level. Um, but what, what's your take on the, the whole incident from the beginning, <laughs> so-called Super League, through to now? Well, I, th- I, think, um, I think it's an example of how um, football is still not very professionally run mm-hmm. um, in any way, shape or form. Um, certain parts of it and certain clubs are. I, I do some work for football clubs and some of them are very, very well uh, professionally set up and then some of them still act like they're still in the 1970s and uh, I'm in I'm in business with a pal of mine that I met a f- football manager um, and he's been marketing director for and PR director for quite a lot of big companies and I mean we both said this isn't going to happen as, as soon as it came out before any, any of the any of the backtracking happened because it read like it was which was a, a hastily put together press release with a tin pot logo that was taken from a template somewhere um, with some vague aims, not very well thought out aims put out on a piece of paper. Now, clearly a lot of it had been in planning. It's not to say it was all made up in a week. They've been trying this for a long time, but for some reason they were desperate to, and and, and I guess this is what inquiry or perhaps further investigation will will find out, which is why particularly um, that weekend was the reason to press go. Obviously the UEFA, um, uh, uh, the the new Champions League format being announced on the Monday was yeah. a was a major reason behind it. But even still, to press the button and to not realise the politics behind pressing that button because it's been the the the, the massive um, power play really to say, well, if you don't give us what we want, we will go and set off this league. And everyone's so desperate to keep them because they bring. I mean, they and they do. I mean, I've worked in TV for a long time and. You know, with Liverpool on the telly, they get a lot of views. I mean, if Leeds are on the telly, they get a lot of views, to be fair. I mean, Leeds are, are only not part of this top six because they haven't been for a while, right? But if they had been in the Premier League and kept that up, they would be one of the, they are still one of the best viewed teams in the, in the country, just historically, with legacy fans, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and, um, so, you know, and, and I know certainly at a couple of clubs, which I can't mention, I know that none of the staff, um, even quite hard knew about it um, yeah. until it was announced. I mean, this is, it wasn't just, mm. I mean, you're talking at a really high level, these decisions are being made and, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting like complete all the board directors and things like that, but certainly at high levels like comms, you know, heads of press and PR uh, managers, they didn't know anything about it. Some directors would not have known about it at certain clubs. Um, and I think I, I do believe that some of these clubs were kind of given an ultimatum of come with us now, otherwise you're going to miss out. 
and so they they took that and, and others have been and been planning it for longer but I, th- I think it just goes to show that how it, it it's just not well thought out there's no real business strategy behind it they didn't seem to sign up all the, the broadcast deals and i remember getting into a, a yeah. heated debate with someone from the guardian about it because they were spitting out about how all these um uh uh, broadcasters weren't gonna were gonna go into bed with them and all the rest of it, and I know a few you know, know people at Sky and BT and, and Amazon. I was texting them and they were coming back saying, "Absolutely no way we're getting involved with this. This is a car crash," and yeah. and you knew from that point they didn't they didn't have the broadcasters on board, which is where the money's coming from. So they had the they had line of credit open, but then they didn't have the broadcasters in, and you need the broadcasters to make the bidding war because that's where all the money comes from, you know. Um, yeah. So I think I think yeah, it was, was, large, was I think it's largely largely that's my kind of take on it. I think I don't think it's gone away. I think hmm. um uh they'll try again and I think that's why these these legacy things have come in and I think what probably killed it off is is fan pressure obviously the uh, everyone being so angry against it and and I and I weirdly felt gutted about it even though it probably actually a league without the toxics is quite good for us and I missed the championship to be honest because it was great fun. But you, you do need you do need competitive at the top of it to make it happen. You're thinking, crikey, this is a way of life that's going to be. T-. And I was surprisingly gutted about it. I haven't worked in in and around the game for a long time. I thought I'd lost my emotion about it. Oh no, this isn't right. Um, but I think what what probably was the the, the thing that really killed it was actually the the, the threat of government intervention, um, which is very political. Yes. And yeah. obviously, without getting into a politics debate, I think. Um, there's some elections coming up and the government under a lot of slack and it's a very popular thing to side with red wall voters, isn't it? To, to come out against this sort of thing. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's that. And I think that because that's legal intervention, stopping something from happening, which I'm not sure you would have got in some of these other countries and without the top six here, it ain't, it ain't going to fly. So be interested to see what happens with this charter and what they can legally do. But I think they get that right. then that, that, Kills it for for a generation at least, which is, I guess, good enough. Um, yeah. But worrying. Were you guys worried about it? I, I yeah. Have a view to what you were expressing about. You know, I actually, I think you know, a lot of ways, it would have been a good thing for the the rest of the league. To be honest, if the the top six went, um, and I would I wouldn't have in any way wanted them to play in that and play in the Premier League. Still, I think it would have been of I, no. I would have been fully behind throwing them out of the Premier League if they did that the minute they did it. And I think, yeah, I think partly that. I also think a lot of the clubs were surprised by their their own fans' reaction. I thought they might, they, they, I think they probably expected to be attacked by the media and some of the media and their own and other teams' fans, but they didn't expect their own fans to be quite so opposed and to demonstrate and that sort of thing. And they would, I think it just kind of, yeah, kind of took them took them by surprise. I think they just assumed that their own club fans would be like, oh, this is great, we'll just move on. And no one, they, yeah, took addition to the game. To a man, they all did, and they all came out yeah. of protests. Uh, I mean, they were the, the protests at places like Leeds as well. But yeah, in terms of Liverpool, Arsenal, Man U, Chelsea, Spurs, I know there were, there were protests there, probably at City yeah. as well. I guess. And everything was um, as well, right? Release statements attacking it, mm-hmm. and you know, it's yeah. like universally criticised. Don't you? It's, you know, you barely saw anyone who was actually in favour. Yeah, and that that really is the difference. Yeah, I think as you said, that not having the TV uh, deals in place, the fact that it was undermining and upsetting the the coaches and players as well, you know, that them all coming out in um, against one or all, but loads of them coming out against it as well. It's interesting. We'll see what happens next with that. Um, 
just an update, Burnley did lose 2-1 at home to West Ham. So we are still in status quo with our position in the table, which is great. Good to see. And um, one point off Palace and one point off our highest ever position in the fact that we're final position in the table as well. Yeah, absolutely, which is great. Um, so that's that's really good, really good sign. And the, the football charter thing, we'll, we'll come on to that in more detail maybe in a later episode when we find out more about that. But that pretty much rounds up for this episode, Louis. So, um, I mean, I was going to ask you about um, what you're up to next. I think you've, you've mentioned you've got another sports thing coming up, haven't you? Uh, that's next on the agenda for you work-wise. Um, so you're, you're staying busy then? Yeah, um, there's one thing I can't talk about. We're sort of 95% of the way there with, with raising money yeah. for it. But there's a, a feature film. Uh, based abroad, um, which you know, once we get going, I can talk about it. But I'm, I'm doing a lot of work for, for football clubs at the minute, and um, uh, including some of the, the Dirty Dozen, and um, also working <laughs> with Extreme E, the, the um, electric car racing series that's just started, which is creating electric cars in in uh, very remote locations to highlight climate change. So we're we're doing a sort of behind the scenes with all the Lewis Hamilton's got a team, Nico Rosberg, um, Jensen Button, and it's kind of fun. It's kind of amazing, really. They, they, um, without going too much into it, have a look at it at extreme.com. I think it is on every single channel as well. So worth a watch. It's kind of, um, really high octane stuff. And the whole, the whole paddock is completely fueled off water. So it's charged with, um, splitting water into hydrogen and oxygen. Um, so literally it's sort of putting your, money where your mouth is in this stuff so there's uh everything we do over there is all eco-friendly um so but yeah worth a worth a worth a watch when it when i think next one we're going to senegal in a couple of weeks to dakar um we're an ocean grand prix where we're racing part in the ocean apartment and um brilliant so it should be fun that sounds fantastic don't forget to check out kaiser if you haven't already it's on amazon prime recommend that um uh, my mate Phil and I are doing a film podcast as well, um, Film Fives. So if anyone's interested in film and listen to this, um, check that out. You can find us in all the usual platforms for podcasts. We're also on Twitter, Film Fives 1, I think it is, um, and um, on Facebook. Um, maybe we'll get you on there at some point, Louis. In fact, you could come on as our first film guest. Who knows? Um, yeah, but thank you very much for, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, it looks like we're safe, so it's good time to uh, happy days to be an Albion fan. And um, in the meantime, thank you for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us, Louis. And we're going to finish in the usual way, Peter, by saying, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.